Hello everyone and welcome to this Marshfield Community Television Special. I'm Jonathan Grabowski and today we're going to be talking about changes in taxes. And joining me today is Patrick Conley from Bloom Shapiro. Patrick, thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me, John. So before we get into what's been going on in the tax world, you know, we're coming up on tax season shortly. Uh, first off, just give us your background. Uh, well, as you can tell, I've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I. I actually started with the IRS for a few years, and then I've been in public accounting since then. Uh, I've worked, uh, I've been with Bloom now for a little bit over seven years. Okay. Uh, prior to that, I had worked at one of the big four firms. Uh, so I've got, I've got pretty good experience working with big companies, middle market clients. Uh, uh, I'm a, I consider myself a generalist, but I've got a, a broad range of uh, experience working in different areas. And your title is you're the partner in charge of the tax department at Bloom Shapiro's Quincy office, That's right? correct. That's correct. Meaning? Uh, meaning, uh, well, Anything when I taxes, first, you're the guy? Well, when I, when I first took over, I think there was probably less than 10 people in the practice. Mm -hmm. Now there's probably 40. Okay. So uh, it's really uh, just overseeing, overseeing the group. Uh, uh, certainly very active with client matters, uh, so and more focused on client matters than certainly administrative things. So, For those that aren't familiar with Bloom Shapiro, just talk about who they are and what you guys do. Yeah, uh, Bloom Shapiro, uh, it's been uh, in New England since the 70s. Mm -hmm. It initially was a Connecticut-based firm, and it made a decision uh, probably eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, that uh, they would uh, look to come into Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. uh, so probably a year or two before I joined, they merged with a with a South Shore CPA firm, okay. uh, which I had actually worked for probably 20 years ago <laughs> uh, after the IRS. But uh, but they uh, they looked to come into Massachusetts, uh, and it's it's gone great. Uh, I think uh, they also after that time moved into Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. uh, so as we look at Bloom Shapiro today, it's, uh, it's, prob it's the largest New England-based CPA firm. Uh, we have probably 550, 600 people. Wow. We have close to probably 180 people in Massachusetts. Uh, we've opened offices in Worcester just recently. We're in Boston. We're in the North Shore, North Andover, Newton. So it's, uh, it's grown considerably. And, and I think... Uh, and it's, it's more than just a, a, an audit and accounting firm. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been very focused on growing our advisory services so we, we can work with our clients on uh, matters outside of tax and audit. So we really, we're a full service firm. So we're going to talk a little bit today about, you know, the recent changes in tax law, how it impacts people. We'll talk about some business tax as well and some general stuff. So let's just start off is there's been some recent changes in tax law. Where did these changes come from and what's the reasoning behind them? Yeah, uh, late in 17 they did pass the, the new tax law, mm -hmm. the, uh, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Yeah. And um, there had been a lot of discussion prior to that being passed. Uh, I mean the last significant uh, tax law change was back in 86. So it had been 30 years really since there had been significant tax mm -hmm. changes. And I know uh, certainly President Trump was focused on changing the tax right. laws. And there had been a lot of uh, discussion I think in the, on the corporate side that the U.S. corporate tax rate was really high mm -hmm. as compared to other countries. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a lot of uh, 
belief that that, that needed to be addressed. Uh, so that was addressed, and as part of addressing the corporate side, there was a lot of uh, individual yeah, tax individual. Uh, items that were looked at. So, so, so by the time the law passed, it was, it's, it's, it's not tax simplification. Uh, it's still complex. Right. Uh, I would argue it's more complex than it really? ever was. Uh, it maybe has simplified some people tax filing, but it's, uh, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to hurt our business, I guess, or okay. hasn't hurt our right. business. Uh, we've had a year to work with it. You know, I think we've got a pretty good sense for it now, uh, compared to what we did a year ago. Um, the law was passed so late in the year that a lot of the uh, IRS guidance that you needed, it just didn't happen right. quickly and it couldn't happen quickly. It wasn't, you know, the IRS just couldn't do that. So there was a lot of unknown last year. There's less unknown today. So how are you approaching going into year two of this? Well, uh, now we have guidance on a, on a lot of the mm -hmm. issues. Uh, I, I think most of what we did last year with less guidance, I think fortunately we did the right thing, so <laughs> we don't have to fix things. Uh, um, and uh, I think it, it just, uh, what it does now is we, we have a better understanding of the issues. You know, we've, we've looked at the tax law changes, we've applied them to client situations, we better understand okay. the implications. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it continues to, to generate uh, a lot of planning, a lot of work, okay. uh, but we certainly feel better than we did a year ago. Okay. So let's get into some of the details here. So one of the changes people are talking about are itemized and standard deductions. And before we get into you know, what the changes are, just for those that don't know, talk about what itemized deductions are and what standard deductions are. Yeah, uh, it, it involves the filing in individual tax returns and pe people always had the option they could file the return and itemize the deductions. And itemized deductions were items like medical expenses, taxes, mortgage interest, contributions. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, probably most of our clients if not all of them, itemized deductions. Okay. Um, what, what the law change did is it, it increased the standard deduction. And what that said is, rather than itemized deductions, we'll give you, let's say you're a married couple, mm -hmm. we'll give you $24,000 $24, as a deduction. So it's like a flat. A flat amount. And it may be that that number was higher than what you had been claiming in the past when you did itemize mm -hmm. deductions. Uh, because the other thing that happened uh, is part of the tax law change. Tax deduction is an itemized deduction was limited to $10,000. Okay. And that used to be one of the largest itemized deductions. Mm -hmm. So it took those people potentially out of itemizing and getting to the standard deduction. Okay. Uh, most of our clients still itemize deductions, but uh, you do see occasionally okay. People stick to standard. So, talk about some of the increases in standard deductions that have, that have occurred from this. Yeah, uh, under the old law, you had a standard deduction of twelve thousand. Mm -hmm. It went to twenty-four thousand in its index. So, I think today mm -hmm. it's twenty-four thousand four hundred, mm -hmm. and 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 um, that 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 increase was across the board. Whether you filed married filings right. jointly or separately, or you were single or had a hustle. All of the standard deductions were increased considerably so that uh, many people did no longer itemize. Okay. So, uh, so we're looking at married, married and joint are up 400, married and separate are, are up 200, 
head of households up 350, singles up 200. I want to get back to married. Now, yep. I'm newly engaged, going to be married soon. What are some situations when a, a married couple should file jointly and file separately? Uh, there are not many. Okay. My experience is almost, almost always it makes sense to file jointly. Uh, but there can be exceptions. Um, you might have a situation possibly where you might have a lot of medical expenses and because there's a limitation, adjusted gross income mm -hmm. limitation that applies, it may be beneficial depending on everyone's income and mm -hmm. medical expenses to, to file separate returns. Uh, I've also found clients where for non-tax reasons, maybe they don't want to file a joint return okay. with their spouse. But I would say, you know, 90, 95% So of most times, of the time it's, 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 it's joint, joint filing. It's joint. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So another big change has been in regards to IRAs and retirements. Um, the SECURE Act yes. recently came, was passed in 19 and created significant changes. Talk about some of those changes that have come about from that. Yeah, this, the SECURE Act, again, as, as Congress tends to do, they tend to pass the laws at the end of the year, right. which this one was. Um, so uh, we're still absorbing mm -hmm. the act and the impact of the act. It, it, as it indicates, it's really focused on retirement. Uh, it's focused on uh, uh, one, one item was uh, we've always had this rule where you have to start taking down your IRA mm -hmm. when you reach age 70 and a half. Uh, I think in recognition that people are living longer, working longer, uh, that age got pushed back to 72. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one other item that they've, uh, they've uh, provided for is under the old law, once you reach 70 and a half, you, you had to stop funding an IRA. Okay. But today, you can continue funding, funding the IRA, especially if you're working, continuing to work. And I think a lot of you know, the seniors do continue to work. Right. Um, they I was going to say, does that, does that half year, year and a half difference in regards to taking money out, does that, makes, does that make a big difference? Uh, it does for the people involved. I mean, there's always, um, many people have no intention of withdrawing the money. Okay. I mean, they, they have the financial resources to not have to withdraw it. Okay. And, and um, this allows them, you know, another year, year and a half to, to, to defer doing that. Yeah, okay. Um, Oftentimes, people would, these funds might uh, go to the to beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in some cases, that might take a significant amount of time to pay mm -hmm. out. Right. Uh, one of the, again, one of the changes they, they made is, with some exceptions, you, if you inherit an IRA yeah, now, so you, have to, you have to withdraw it within a 10-year time frame. It used to be that you could, you could withdraw that out or let that go out as long as you want it, really. Mm -hmm. uh, there's exceptions. I mean, if your spouse, your spouse, it can be longer than 10 years or there's certain okay. other. Uh, but uh, to, to, to tighten that period to, uh, uh, so we have to take that right. money. So you give up something, you get something. So talk, talk to me again about the, the change in contributions. To an IRA. Now that the age has changed on that too? Yeah. So if you, let's say you continue working and you want to continue to contribute to an IRA and deduct mm -hmm. to an, with an IRA, you can, you can do that now. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, especially you know, if someone's working part-time, whatever, and mm -hmm. it might not be a bad thing to do. <coughs> I want to jump to the business side. Yeah. And you wrote a great article on the Bloom Shapiro site. That, and you said in it that some of the recent changes may be a positive uh, to small, medium-sized business on the South Shore. Why, why is that? Yeah. Uh, 
what, what the law did, uh, because uh, most small businesses operate as a pass-through entity, okay. you know, whether that's an S corporation, whether that's a partnership, they, they mostly operate as a pass-through entity. And, and what that means is the income from that pass-through entity is taxed on their individual tax return. Really? So under, under the old law, that, that tax rate could be as high as 39.6%. Okay. So as part of the discussion around the, the C corporation rates, which was 35, the, the C corporation rates were reduced from 35 to 21%. And Congress understood that you know, we have to provide a similar type of benefit mm -hmm. to the pastoral entities, and they did. So what they did with the pastoral entities, if, if uh, for most businesses, you're allowed to deduct on your individual return 20% of your net income. So what that effectively does is it brings your rate down to about 29.6%, mm -hmm. still not as low as the corporate rate, right. but much better than the highest rate today, which is 37%. Mm -hmm. So that was a great incentive. It doesn't apply to certain businesses like accountants. We can't do it. Doctors can't do it. Lawyers can't do it. Why those? Why professional those? Professional services. It's okay. really professional services are not able to do it. Uh, but most other businesses can. Hmm. Um, and the other changes that again were beneficial is uh, they passed a bonus depreciation law as part of the act. Uh, so that meant that a business when they acquired depreciable assets, they could write off 100% of the cost of those depreciation, depreciable assets, 100%. Hmm. <clears throat> and there's no limit at that. So if you, if you purchase $3 million of qualified property, you could take a $3 million tax wow. deduction. Hmm. Most okay. states don't allow you to do that. Massachusetts doesn't allow you to do it. So you have a separate, almost a separate tracking. <laughs> Uh, but the federal allowed you to do it. Of course. And then they also allowed you, they increased the Section 179 deduction, which is a similar type Actually, of... I was going to ask you about it's the a similar, a similar type of deduction. That's capped out at a million dollars. The benefit of the Section 179 deduction is you can claim that in Massachusetts. So and, there's a state benefit. And 179, that, that went up significantly. That yeah. was what? Uh, it was 500, went up to a million. Wow. Yeah. Why yeah. such a, a big... Well, I think there was a belief that uh, you know, corporate rates were high and mm -hmm. people were paying too much taxes and, and these were incentives mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to improve the economy, really. <clears throat> Interesting. Another big change is in the method of accounting cash and accrual. Um, before we break down, break that down further, explain to someone watching at home, what's the difference between accrual accounting and cash accounting? Uh, accrual accounting is looking at it real basic, accrual, accrual accounting is you recognize the income when you earn it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm on an accrual basis and I provide a service and I bill that service, if I'm on the accrual basis, that's when the income's recognized. Okay. Um, as a, as a, as a uh, expense, I if I incur an expense, mm -hmm. I may not necessarily have paid for it yet, but it, I'm obligated to pay that expense. Right. Then, then you're allowed to deduct it. Mm -hmm. So that's the accrual basis okay. of accounting. Um, most people, especially small businesses, probably find that to be a little bit more complicated than the cash method. Mm -hmm. The cash method is pretty simple. You, you, you 
recognized income when you get the cash in. Yeah, cash in, cash out. And, and when you get the deduction when you pay the cash. Hmm. Interesting. And and in the way it worked, uh, if you maintained inventory, you couldn't be on the cash basis. Or if your business was a C corporation and you were a certain size, you had to be on the on the accrual basis. The twenty-five million dollar rule really provided more options to people to look at their inventory methods, uh, look at using a cash method versus an accrual method. You know, maybe you're not subject to, to unicap rules anymore. Okay. It just it just provided more opportunities to small business to revisit how they account for their business. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, why is this change for companies up to $25 million so significant that they can now use the cash method? That's, that's where they drew the line as far as small business versus not small business. Hmm. Uh, the old rules had small, well, it's interesting. The old rules, they were, they were also thresholds, but they tended to be much smaller. It might have been a $5 million threshold. It might have been a $10 million threshold. Mm -hmm. All those thresholds went up to $25 million. That's inter so, it's interesting that it, there must have been some reason behind like some group or some association saying, hey, we IRS help us out sort of. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that was kind of the Congress's idea is what small businesses, okay. 25 million of revenues of revenues. You mentioned S corps, C corps. Um, in that great article, you stated that these new tax changes are fabled the C corps. Uh, first off. For those that are watching that don't know what a C-Corp is, just explain quickly. Um, a C-Corp is, is a type of business entity that pays its own tax. Okay. Uh, so if it earns income and has income, it, it pays tax on its level. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if it distributes those profits, those profits that get distributed are taxed again to the okay. owners of the company. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 when you hear about a C corporation, oftentimes you hear about double taxation. That's okay. a terminology that, that gets associated with a C corp. Uh, so the 21% rate sounds great, but if you want to distribute those profits, it's going to be an additional no tax. tax. Uh, a partnership or an S corporation, it's all, it's all passed through. Mm -hmm. So as that money's taxed, you pay tax on it. Mm -hmm. Now, you may decide to retain some of that profit in the company, you still pay tax on it. Uh, or you may decide to take that profit out of the company. When you take the profit out, you do not pay tax. And that's the big difference between a C-Corp a and a, and a pass-through entity. So what's the, the thing that makes this a win for those involved with, with C-Corps? Well, the rates went down for everyone. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a plain and simple, the rates went the down? The rates went down for everyone. Um, Certain tax deductions mm -hmm. that you used to be able to take, maybe you couldn't take any longer. Uh, there was uh, one of the changes they did, they did pass was there's a limitation now on interest expense, okay. and deduction, deductibility of interest expense. Okay. So if you're a company that was highly leveraged, uh, this didn't help you. Uh, mm -hmm. Those deductions would get deferred. Mm -hmm. But I'd say, you know, just looking at my client base and looking at what I've done over the last year, Almost, I won't say almost, almost all of my clients have really benefited from this, this okay. change. So even Excellent. though they win some on some, you lose on some, net-net, mm -hmm. it, it's been, it's been a, a winner for small business. Excellent. That's great. Is there an end, is this the end for the changes? Is there anything else coming down the pipe that you think? Or <laughs> it's never an end. It never ends? never ends. Well, it's interesting. I know President Trump now is talking about he'd like to pass some type of uh, 
income tax law to benefit the middle class. Mm -hmm. uh, not sure exactly what that means yet, but focused, I think, on individuals focused on the middle class. I mean, I think maybe part of the criticism of, of the Tax Cut and Jobs Change Act was that it, did it really benefit the middle class? Yeah. This is something that they're, they're looking at. Okay. Uh, and I think by nature, they look at tax law every year. Right. And, uh, and there's nothing else coming out of this tax act that, you know, no other things being rolled out from it. That well, there is. It, okay. it, this is why it gets more complicated. <laughs> uh, all the changes that impacted C corporations, mm -hmm. those are permanent changes. Mm -hmm. All the changes that impact pastoral entities and individuals, they're grandfathered. So I believe the changes are effective through 2025. And then 2026, it goes back to the law prior to the 2017 tax law change. Okay. Now, I don't think that'll really happen, um, but if nothing does happen, that's what would happen. Okay, so we're starting to wind up here, so I want to get some general type tax questions. So how should the individuals prepare for getting their return done? Um, be prepared. Um, make sure you organize your information whether you do it yourself or you have someone do it for you, it's really, really helpful to, to prepare in advance and pull all your documents together before okay. you do anything. Uh, the IRS website is a great resource. Really? It really, if, you, if you're an individual, if you're a business, if you're, if you're looking for guidance, the, the IRS website, I'd recommend it. There's, okay. there's a lot of information they provide. Um, you know, some people prepare returns themselves. They mm -hmm. may use TurboTax mm -hmm. or some other software. Um, and our, uh, certainly we have our clients that come to us. So as so let's just say as, as the CPA, what are the things that you want people to kind of have ready and organized if you're doing their taxes? Well, I like to have as much upfront as I can. <laughs> no surprises. <laughs> That's hard to do sometimes right. because sometimes it's out, outside of the client's control. They may be an investor in a company and may not have the information yet, or uh, you know, the banks or, or mutual fund companies may take a while for them to get out their statements. Yeah. So it's not always easy, but the better prepared they are coming in, you know, I think the easier the process it is, yes. What yes. about for businesses? What, what should they be doing to prepare? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I think uh, for many of our businesses, we usually do some type of financial statement uh, uh, for them, whether it's an audit, whether it's a review. Uh, for many of our business clients, there's, there's planning meetings we will have with them prior to year end. So we'll look at the year-to-date numbers, we'll look at, at where they are and plan for the year end as to steps they might take as far as minimizing tax. Um, and so hopefully we do, we do a lot of that before the year even ends. Yeah, so, so you're meeting with them prior so yeah. it's not. Yeah, so we don't want surprises come come the spring when we're, when we're working on the tax right. return. Um, tax season is also unfortunately known for scams. You know? So what are things that people should be watching out for in regards to scams in, in the IRS and tax season? Yeah, I mean, I know um, everyone, myself included, has probably gotten a call at some point uh, yep. from someone saying, if you don't send me you know, $1,000 in, in gift cards, I'm going to send the police and have you arrested. Mm -hmm. Uh, the IRS doesn't do that. Right. <laughs> uh, the IRS doesn't take gift cards. Uh, the IRS doesn't threaten to have you arrested. Uh, you get a call like that, you just hang up. Uh, they can sometimes sound right. pretty official. 
They'll give you a badge number. They'll, they'll give you a name. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they threaten you, it's not a legitimate call. Okay. Uh, the other issue is, you know, correspondence. If they send you a letter, you know, you want to make sure it's a valid letter. Okay. Uh, if you have any doubt as to whether a call is valid or not or whether uh, that correspondence is valid, again, the IRS website, has, they, okay. have a, they have a section about scams. Okay. And if you feel someone you're being scammed, they want you to report that right. to them. Um, you know, the IRS just doesn't call you. I, I mean, was going to say, yeah, is, isn't, is, uh, the IRS like, corresponds a certain way and they don't call that, right? Generally, it's through the mail. Um, I know recently there's been some discussion that uh, certain IRS officials are going to come knocking on doors. Um, and I would tell you, uh, and they're going to do that unannounced, I would tell you if, if you get a knock on the door from the IRS, uh, from a revenue officer, you know why they're there. Uh, there's no surprises. <laughs> so, uh, it, the, the IRS You've done something to bring them there. That's right. That's right. You, you're not going to get a call out of the blue from someone threatening to have you arrested, someone threatening if you don't send me money. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, just hang up on them. Okay. Um, and last but certainly not least, you know, there's items out there. You had mentioned TurboTax for people and businesses. But in, and then, you know, there's CPAs. Why should people work with an accountant? Because we know the tax law. Plain and simple? It's, no. I think it's that simple. Uh, the, the tax law is complicated, and, and I know they talked about tax simplification before they passed this act in 17. It's not. Okay. Uh, so tax law is complicated. Um, it's complicated for tax professionals, never mind, uh, you know, taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, it w all of this, big, I, I specialize in a certain area of tax. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's areas of tax I consult internally on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, really, it's really important right. that people understand that. Yeah, you, have, you have that network of other tax professionals. That's right. So. That's right. right. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today and educating us on Tax changes. Okay, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Sean.